Good morning. How's everyone? It's great to see you all here. My family will be with me in three weeks. Not, not right here. That would be distracting. But they'll be here with us. And so we're excited. I got to visit with them this past week and patch some holes in my walls at our old house. And so it was a good week. Good, good to get back to them. And so they are all excited to be out here to join us. So we have been since I got here, we've been starting in, in the book of Matthew, and we've just been kind of walking through it, and we've been kind of hitting the highlights, and, and we're certainly not going to get every verse, we're certainly not going to get every chapter, but we're kind of trying to make sure we, we see and recognize some of the, the main stories that kind of inform us about what it was Jesus was doing, what, it, what is he seeking to do in his ministry on this earth, what was he seeking to do with his teachings, with his followers, with his disciples, and, and what kind of kingdom is it that he is bringing about. And so in in the first week, we were looking at Matthew chapter 4, and we were looking at the call of the first disciples. And and what we saw there is this is, this is really upsetting the apple cart, right? We saw that Jesus is coming, and he's doing something that that nobody really expected him to do. He's, He's defying expectations. And so, first of all, he comes to fishermen, and he says, hey, come follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And so, right away, we're already kind of confused, right? First of all, if he's a rabbi, if he's coming as a rabbi, if he's coming as a teacher, then teachers don't go and find their students. They don't go and find their disciples. And so he's already throwing things off there. And if he was a rabbi, why is he calling fishermen of all people? They weren't the worst of the worst by any means, but they were kind of middle class. They were kind of average. They were not the kind of disciples most rabbis would be looking for. And so, so then we can step back and we could say, well, well, maybe he is a revolutionary. Maybe he's this new king and he's going to conquer Rome and he's going to kick them out of this this nation and maybe he's going to do that kind of thing but but then I think we have to ask again well why fishermen <laughs> right are they going to have a real shortage of food in this new kingdom is, is there some reason that he's calling these guys and not guys that are competent with swords is there a reason he's not calling the zealots only or the sicari the, the knife men that we talked about and so from the very beginning we see Jesus is kind of defying expectations The next thing we saw with that is that Jesus is calling people in community. He's calling brothers, Andrew, Peter, James, and John. And so he's calling people that already have relationships. And so we see that this kind of thing that Jesus is doing, it's it's not just a Jesus and me type of thing he's doing. He's calling people that are already in community. And, and, And a reminder, the African proverb that I love says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I think Jesus knew He was calling these men to go further than they could have ever imagined. And so this is already upsetting expectations. He's calling people in community, and he is also calling people with a cost. They had to leave things behind. James and John are sitting in a boat with their father, (laughs) and Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. And they were like, all right, that that seems to make sense. And so (laughs) I picture them jumping into this lake, and and their dad's just sitting there going, well, how am I supposed to pull the net in without, what is wrong with you guys, (laughs) you know? And, and, and so they start following him, and, and so we see that this kind of kingdom is going to cost something. And, and we've been kind of using the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl of great price as kind of a lens to view a lot of this through. And so we see that if you found something this amazing, wouldn't you leave things behind to possess it? And so, so we saw all that in the call of the first disciples, and so already we're saying, well, this is not quite what we would expect. But then last week we were looking at the call of Matthew, the tax collector, And so Jesus has called these fishermen, and so we're like, well, okay, we can let you get away with that. But then he goes and he finds the most evil, he finds the traitor, 
he finds the guy that people would not even want to sit down to dinner with. If he's there at Chipotle, you are going to Qdoba. Is it Qdoba here? <laughs> okay, yeah. If he's at Chipotle, you're going to Qdoba, right? <laughs> so Matthew, the tax collector, is not a guy you're sitting down to dinner with. And Jesus, in all of his audacity, he goes and he calls him. And then not only that, but he also finds other sinners and he starts eating with them. And so we see this call to Matthew, the tax collector, that Jesus will even take the tax. And then, I think, we see underneath that, we see a call to the disciples, a greater type of discipleship, one in which they are called to love their enemies. And so if we think about who's our enemy in this world, we think about all the different ways we would like to destroy those enemies, right? But Jesus' call, the way he continues to defy expectations, is that those enemies are people we are called to love. So this is the type of kingdom that Jesus has been building. And so if you'd like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, that's where we're going to be starting and finishing this morning. <laughs> we'll be there the whole time. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, right at the very beginning of this, we see that Jesus is kind of sharing his authority and his identity with his, these guys. He tells them, go and do the things that I've been doing, because you're going as my representatives. And so, he does that, and I, I think in a lot of ways, this is Jesus saying they identify with him. They represent him in this world, so go and do that and do the things that he's been doing. And then we get kind of a list of these guys, and, and we see in the other Gospels that Jesus had sent them in twos, and so I like to imagine, <laughs> it's kind of like a group assignment in class, right? And everybody's like, ah, oh, why do we have to do this group assignment? And everybody's pairing off, and then Jesus looks out and he sees <laughs> Matthew the tax collector. Nobody wants to pair up with him. And then he sees Simon the Zealot. And remember, the Zealots were not a fully formed party yet, but they probably did still believe in violent revolution, and they probably still did believe in killing tax collectors. And Jesus says, I got a great partner for you guys. <laughs> All right? You guys are going to work really well together. A and this is my own headcanon. You know, I'm making all this up. But I like to imagine them coming back, and Matthew and Simon are just buddies after that. <laughs> I like to imagine that they, they really hit it off, and they realize oh, hey, we actually do follow Jesus first and these other things we've left behind. That's all in my head, Canaan. But you're welcome to believe it too if you'd like. <laughs> Starting in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go to the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or even a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust 
off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. And, and so what we see in this very first section is this is Jesus sharing his authority, and he's also sharing his identity with them. Jesus kind of walked around like an itinerant prophet, right? He, he didn't carry a whole bunch of money. He didn't carry... We see him elsewhere talk about foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to stay. And, and so he's, already, he's sharing with them. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you have to do the kind of things that I did. You have to do the kind of things that I do. And so he's inviting them into that. And, and I think this is interesting, too. We read here, shaking the dust. And so that kind of seems like a strange phrase to us. For the Palestinian Jews, when they would return back to the promised land, they would, they would take their sandals off and they would shake them off they would shake the dust off their feet, and it was a kind of a symbolic way of saying they were back home. They were back in the place of their God. They were back where people believed in the right God. And so what Jesus is saying here is the people that will not accept him, the people that will not accept him as king, they do not really belong to Israel's God. He is Israel's rightful king, and so if they are not accepting that, then they are the same as the pagans in the rest of the world. And so Jesus is making a statement without really making a statement. And so, <laughs> so he's saying, shake the dust off your feet. And he's not saying, we, we talk about love your enemies, he's not saying hate those people. He's just saying recognize them for their position in this world. They do not belong to our kingdom, at least not yet. Going on. 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for you will not be speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So the second section is kind of the fate of the disciples. And so this is not really a, a your best life now type of scenario that Jesus is laying out here, is it? <laughs> this is not everybody's going to love you and welcome you in. <laughs> This is not a really exciting thing for the disciples to hear. This is not, people are going to smile and they're going to be so glad to hear your message. This is none of that. <laughs> Jesus is being very honest and he's telling them what is going to happen if they start proclaiming his kingdom. And I think this is interesting. He talks about going in front of governors and kings. And, and, and so we see here that there is a level of political threat that is going on with this preaching of the kingdom. The governors and the kings are not going to be happy when these guys are going around saying the kingdom of God is near, there's a new king. <laughs> there is a new king and his name is Jesus. They are not going to be happy with this proclamation and so they are going to be brought in front of those people and there will be trouble for them. This is a promise and, and this is Jesus telling them what kind of faith they will have. So that is the fate of the disciples. Reading on. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household? So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. 
What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus here has laid out, he said, you are going in my authority. And then he said, you're also going to be persecuted. People are not going to like you. And so does he say, here are the ways you can avoid that kind of pain? Does he say, here are the ways you can avoid that discomfort? Three times he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this is really reminiscent of a lot of things that were told throughout the Old Testament as well. Do not be afraid. And so Jesus is, this is the center point of this entire thing, and it's about a call to courageous proclamation. He's saying, this is going to be hard, but bravely and boldly proclaim the kingdom anyway. Jesus is encouraging them, do not be afraid. And so what we see here is him giving them courage, him giving them boldness, and him saying, whatever happens, boldly, proudly proclaim the kingdom of God. Moving on, verse 32. This is the cost of discipleship again. Whoever acknowledges me before, my, before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And here what we see again is this is the cost of discipleship. He's going back to this idea of the fate of discipleship. And there's a couple things in here. He says, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. And sometimes this is used, I would argue, out of context to say that Jesus is encouraging some kind of violent altercation. And, and I would say that that is not the context here. What he is saying is he has come to bring a division, a division between people. And people are going to have to choose. Are they on his side? Are they on the other side? And, and I think it's interesting, too, a lot of times, again, we go back to this word love. We think of love as this feeling, this emotion that we have. But, but I think the biblical idea of love is much more about covenant here. Can we really control if we feel a certain way about our kids more than Jesus? I would argue no, we can't. But we can have a stronger covenant with Jesus. We can put that covenant above the covenant we have with our family. And I would argue with a covenant with our families will be more, it will be better if the covenant with Jesus is first. And so that is what I would argue this love is about. It's about a covenant and it's about a, a, a disposition of those covenants. Starting again in verse 40. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of water to the, to the one of the little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. And so we see again the sharing of Christ's presence and his reception. And so this is a lot, right? This is a whole lot of words. <laughs> and, and this is a bit overwhelming, I think, but, but this has a structure to it 
that I think is telling a bigger story. I think it is all pointing in a certain direction. And so this is called a chiasm or a chiasmus. And, and basically what it is is the structure itself is pointing towards a central point. The structure itself is pointing to one, one idea that we are meant to take away from that. And it looks a little bit like this. So you have the sharing of the authority of Christ where he comes and he says, this is, uh, these are the things you are called to do. These are the things you want to do out in the world. Then he has the fate of the disciples. So this is how people are going to treat you. Therefore, boldly and courageously proclaim the kingdom. Then he goes back to B, the cost of discipleship. He goes back to the fate of the disciples. And then he goes back to A, again, the sharing of the presence of Christ. And so the whole point of this, the whole thing, is that Jesus is centering in on this courageous proclamation of the kingdom. He is wanting to tell them courageously and boldly proclaim the kingdom. And so I, I think when I hear that, this is way too much for me to all pull in at once, right? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to do the whole chapter. And then I started reading it, and I was like, okay, I have to do the whole chapter. But, <laughs> but, but I was like, so, so my thinking here is there are three questions, I think, that, that we come to whenever we read this honestly and when we read it all together. The first, why were the disciples the ones sent to proclaim this kingdom? Surely they were better people, right? Second, what exactly were they proclaiming? And third, how were they supposed to proclaim it? So first, why send the disciples? Why these guys? <laughs> so in the ancient world, as in today, when there was a new ruler, what they would do is they would send out ambassadors to proclaim this new ruler. Make it very well known. Caesar Augustus is in charge, or, or Julius Caesar, whoever is in charge. And so they'd send these people out. Not only that, but they would begin to print coins with their names and faces on it. And, and for the Caesars, it was son of God. These, this is the son of God, and this is the, your new ruler. Not only that, but they would, they would set up statues throughout their kingdoms to proclaim who the king was. These things were all icons, image bearers of this king. If you remember in Genesis, the very beginning, we are told that human beings were created in the image of God. And, and at least one understanding of that theology is that God meant for human beings to be those ambassadors to all of creation. Our job was to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of the Creator. And then Jesus here, I think, is taking people who He has called and He is sending them out as ambassadors, as icons, as image bearers to bear the image of His new kingdom. And so we look at these guys, right? And we're like, even Judas, <laughs> Matthew the tax collector, these fishermen, we're a lot better than these people, right? <laughs> all of us, but some of us are. <laughs> I am. <laughs> no, we look at these guys and we're like, those guys are the image bearers. These are the ambassadors. And I, th I think that should give us a little bit of hope, right? It should remind us these are the types of people that can bear the image of Christ to the entire world. So why the disciples? Because they were the image bearers. They were his followers. They were the ones he selected to go out. Second question, what exactly were they proclaiming? If we read it here, it is, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, maybe in your translation. Not a lot there, is there? Jesus didn't do like a 12-week curriculum on how to share the kingdom with these guys. He didn't sit them down and he said, hey, here's a really neat acrostic. It's F-A-I-T-H. Has anybody ever done that one before? <laughs> I did that one. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't have this whole plan of how to share the kingdom. He doesn't... And, because Jesus recognizes it is more about the boldness of sharing this kingdom than it is getting everything right. 
these guys, did they have all their theology in line? No, they were still denying that Jesus would even die. They hadn't recognized who he really was. They, didn't, they certainly didn't think he was God yet. And so these guys did not have their theology altogether. They didn't have their lives altogether. We know Judas went out too. Judas even went proclaiming the kingdom. <laughs> and the content of it is so short. And so that should give us hope, right? A lot of times, so think about the pearl. We find this amazingly valuable pearl. And, and we have given everything to find this pearl, right? And so we're possessing it and we're full of joy. We finally found what life is all about. It's about this pearl. And imagine somebody came to you and they said, Anybody else can have one just like that. They can also have a pearl. You just have to tell them about it. Would you step back and you'd say, well, the thing is, we really ought to have a pearl expert do this because I don't know the chemical composition of this pearl. (laughs) I can't describe the nature of this pearl very well. We, We probably ought to have an expert do this. Or would you say, I'm so overjoyed that I have this pearl. I just want to tell, you love a new movie that just came out. Are you going to go tell everybody the cinematography that went into it? Are you going to tell them all the beats of the score of the, the music? No, you're, you're going to tell them, hey, this is a great experience. And that is the point of this kingdom here. He says, go and proclaim the kingdom. You don't have to know all the details of the kingdom yet. Just go. Just go and boldly proclaim it. And the last thing is, how are they to proclaim it? With bold courage. Bold courage. They were going to meet opposition. Because this is a threatening message to power. This is a threatening message to most of our world. Give up your life and you will find a greater life. This is threatening to our comfort, isn't it? People do not want to be uncomfortable. On a side note, discomfort is the gateway to growth. And so if you're finding yourself in a place of feeling discomfort, discomfort, push into that. I would encourage you to lean into that. That is where growth happens. And so, so how are they to proclaim? Boldly and with courage. So So what does that look like for us? What do these things look like for us? Well, first of all, I want to encourage you. You are also sent. (laughs) You may look at your life and you may say, well, I I mean, I'm not an expert. I I can't really adequately explain the Trinity. So how should I (laughs) go and... You are called just like the disciples were, just like these fishermen, these tax collectors, just like even Judas was called to share this kingdom. So go, go and do it. Uh, you are called to do it as well because you are image bearers of this Jesus. Second, what is, it, what is it we're proclaiming? We're proclaiming that everything we search for, every longing of our deepest longings of our hearts, it is here and available. You don't have to say all that. <laughs> all you could say is, hey, I met Jesus and he changed my life. You don't even have to say that. There are tons of easy ways. So, so one of the things that we really do is we trust presentations, right, within the church. We trust kind of slick type things, but, but the thing is our world has moved beyond that. We live in a world where sales are happening all the time. People do not believe salesmen anymore. People don't believe sales pitches. They don't believe sharp, fancy things. You know what they would believe? If you sat down for coffee and you just said, hey, what do you believe about everything? Then you listen. People will listen to you if you do that. That is the first step, in my opinion. Ask people what they believe and just listen to them. Maybe you get a chance that time, maybe you don't. Trust the goodness of God that eventually you will or somebody else will. Just ask questions. Just ask them what their life is like. You don't have to know all the answers. I don't know all the answers. I mean, none of us do. That's the whole point of this journey. We're journeying together because we don't know all the answers. And so last, how are you to do this? With courage and with boldness. 
yeah, you're not worthy, I'm not worthy, we're all not worthy together. <laughs> Let's be courageous and bold, bold anyway. And so that looks like asking people. It looks like telling them, hey, I found Jesus and, and I love it. It's changed my life. This is how you could do the same. And it's okay if they don't believe you. It's okay if they don't listen. You don't have to worry about that. The results are not our job. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples, worry about the results. He says, go proclaim the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we trust the results are in your hands, Lord, and we, we celebrate that we have found this pearl that so many want to find, and so we, we ask for your presence, we ask for your wisdom and your guidance, more than anything, we ask for bold, courageous hearts to share this pearl, to share this kingdom with all who would hear it. We love you, Lord, in your name I pray, amen.